brain might just help you learn something in more ways than one. Welcome to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Dr. Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He'll be your guide on this crazy exploration designed to bring life back to our existence. Can you become the element of change in an ever-changing world? Possibly, but you've got to listen on to find out. Now, here's the host of Absurd Psychology, Dr. Gary Bell. Welcome to the show, everybody. Okay, this is going to be an interesting one, and I'm sure I'm going to get lots of emails, but uh, we're going to talk about Trump versus Hillary, the aftermath. Now, this show is focused on mental health, guys, so, you know, I'm not trying to get into politics here or make political statements or stands, but, uh, you know, I've observed over the last more than a year an enormous amount of social stress out there in the public and people personally taking this election extremely personal. Um, I, I think everybody knows that, that it was going to be a pivotal election just by the way things started, uh, both with the Republicans and the Democrats. It's, it's a very heated dialogue that was going on this year and, uh, and, and with as much uh, stress and surprise as, as I think uh, any election could possibly have done. Um, but, you know, let's take a look at some things uh, before I go into the overview on this thing. You know, we've got to understand that, you know, we are putting because of the way the media is constructed, because of the way that uh, instantly within a minute we can get on the Internet news that's happening right at that moment. You know, there are, there are no secrets for politicians, and they are people, and they are flawed. All politicians are flawed. And so the bottom line is, is that we are electing flawed people and wanting to make them into perfect people using uh, the information that we gather about their lives, about their finances, about their choices, about their mistakes, about their marriages, about their children. All these things get dug up. And these people's lives just get thrown out to the public. And and that's a very courageous decision to have to make as a politician. Now, it used to be that people's uh, backside was mm-hmm. uh, protected by the media, that the people that ran for offices were often, you know, their families were respected, their privacy was respected, their flaws were respected, and their leadership is what was focused on. However, that has taken a, a great big change uh, with the media itself. We also also have to look at the fact that uh, truly, uh, for the first time in a presidential race, the persons running for president could have a direct dialogue with the public, meaning using social media such as Twitter to be able to actually put their views forward without having them filtered through the news and edited by the news and actually commentated by the news. Now, it would happen after the fact, of course, because they pick it up off, off the social media. But the bottom line is, is that person could actually have a direct dialogue with the public. And that is indicative of what people really want. But they also want to have an election where uh, now they're looking at it where there's no, uh, you know, where there, there's no electorate, uh, where everybody has their own vote and that we don't have uh, people voting for us in the end. And, you know, by doing that, that means only the big states and the big cities are going to operate our country and the only opinion that's going to be represented nationally in our government would be those of uh, the great big states. And so that would be a very sad thing. However, 
that seems to be what people are looking towards. And that itself is extremely stressful because that means the rest of the country would have no opinion whatsoever. You know, what we're looking for in politicians are leaders. And I hope someday that what we look for in a leader is a good person of good values, but that we have a much less of a sense of who they are as a person and what mistakes they've made in the past. Because that could hurt us as a public very much. We could have so much better quality in our politicians if we actually would have a little bit more forgiveness and less anger out there and less uh, stress. You know, there are no uh, Walter Cronkites anymore, and many of you may not know who Walter Cronkite was, but he was a great uh, journalist. He was a great uh, news commentator, and he held, held up the news, for, I think it was for CBS, and he brought this nation through a lot of very historic times with a very calm voice and a very honest, uh, straight-up newscast. And I wish and I hope that our media will get back to that rather than trying to uh, push us all into the directions that they would like us to go rather than what is going on and just commentating on what is going on from an objective perspective. So, you know, I, those are my views from, a, from a, a sense of what I carry away from this election. But, you know, more than any other recent presidential campaign, 2016 was driven by psychological forces far removed from an optimistic rationality of our founding fathers. You know, how how do voters make their choices? Do they decide during a rally? You know, study the candidate's policy, research the issues, watch the debates, see whose who's, uh, clothes or hairstyle or speaking voices they prefer. You know, Thomas Jefferson emphasized that at an informed electorate is essential to any sound democracy. You would think that in this information age, keeping the citizens of the United States informed would be easy. Yet it is information and misinformation that actually made the presidential campaign the nightmare that it turned out to be, which in, its, in the end caused at least 70% of our population, voting population, to be stressed out. You know, uh, the... the uh, you have to look at some of these factors. The concept of an informed electric makes two assumptions. First, that the voters have good information and, and both are fact-based and relevant. And second is that the voters carefully weigh all the available information uh, to make a reasoned decision, embodying what uh, political uh, people would say is a, a, like a bounded rationality, making the best possible call in the light of the available information. You know, the next thing is, you know, in psychology, uh, we call uh, reasoning and accessible dynamics, which is uh, heuristic reasoning, and it's based on the association rather than the evidence. And it, and it relies on simplistic and often uh, patently invalid rules of thumb to form electoral attitudes and decisions. You know, uh, we have to understand that these presidential debates were watched for the first time by over 80 million viewers. While a nominee's performance often moved the needle in the polls, it said little about how each would actually function in the Oval Office. You know, success in this year's debate, for example, was often gauged by behavioral quirks, including whether the candidate was too robotic, uh, regularly interrupted, an adversary of the shouting over them. You know, it was largely unconnected to any substance. You know, and the voters presumably subscribed to the rationale that uh, a bad inelegant, inconsiderate, and poorly posed debater would be a bad president without a shred of evidence supporting such a, an outlandish contention. 
you know, looking in 2000, you know, Vice President Gore supposedly reacted inappropriately to Governor Bush during a presidential debate. He rolled his eyes. He repeated sighing, uh, crowding his adversity, arguably, and, and they say that cost him the election. But this loss was based on an absurd, inappropriate debating guide to the presidential performance. You know, uh, also, you know, Kennedy uh, debated a sweaty Richard Nixon and he stayed, uh, you know, Kennedy stayed calm and uh, demeanor. And, and yes, back then, the there was not much more than the four channels out there showing uh, the president and, and the presidential debate. And so, yes, the media had a strong influence on that election. You know, the biggest deal is, and, and it's interesting, is that if you look at actually what Trump said to people, and, and I'm not saying this to, to advocate Trump, but what he said to people was many of the same things that Ronald Reagan said to people, and many of the same things that Kennedy said said to people. Kennedy spoke about social reforms, about an inclusion, about getting back to the people, um, and, and also Reagan talked about little government. Get Let's do it right. Let's Let's, let's drop all the crap and get to the people and help them and stop regulating, uh, over-regulating us. You know, most of, most of the things that we enamor in Kennedy and Reagan, which are absolute legends as president, is actually being spoken by Trump. And I, I think a lot of people forgot that, you know, besides the fact that he was, he was you know, very uh, – not very elegant in the way he spoke, but he spoke frankly, and he spoke like most people speak. Um, the other thing is, if you look at people like, um, you know, Will Rogers, uh, way back when, he spoke like the people. You know, people actually identify with that quality. And uh, Mark Twain did the same thing, spoke like the people, and actually people identify with that. If you read Stephen King, he writes like people talk. So people identify with that. And look how big these people were in changing our world. And so the bottom line is, you know, Kennedy was a very real president. He had a family, had a wife. Uh, people loved that. Uh, Reagan, you know, he had ideals. He, he had big vision to knock the government down and turn it into something functional. You know, those were great things. And actually, Bill Clinton hung on those coattails into his presidency using a lot of the same ideals. And people voted strongly for that. And they were very surprised that he became the president. You know, um, here, let's break it down and look at just the last night of the election. You know, American friends who supported Hillary Clinton were eating their supper, feeling hopeful, thinking it would be an early night. They were very sure that the Democrats were going to win. And the minutes tick-tocked by and uh, until the moment that people started to realize that Donald Trump could at some point become the president in that evening. So the polls actually were wrong. Their friends had been wrong. Their, their news sources had been wrong. And how could this happen? They felt blindsided, misled, and silly. But the fact is, is that all of these polls, all of this media is delusional. It's delusional. It's biased. And it's sad that we cannot get the truth out of the very people that should be representing our people in this great democracy. You know, it's so sad. You know, the reason we're hit so hard by an election outcome is because something psychologists call the false consensus effect. You know, we tend to overestimate to the extent which other people share our views. And when we learn they don't, we're caught off guard. We're, we're actually flabbergasted. So a lot of people have a very negative affect after an election where they feel uh, they feel 
neglected. They feel like their point of view was the majority and something bad happened and we got to go uh, investigate the election and investigate the people and, elect- and investigate what happened. You know, it's amazing that people have a very hard time accepting the absolute truth. You know, and, and the partisan defeats can be more crushing to individuals than violent national catastrophes. There was a study conducted that continually measured people's feelings about political loss, specifically after the 2012 election when Obama was reelected against two national tragedies, the Boston Marathon bombing and the Newtown shooting. The sadness impact of losing an election was twice as intense as the sadness they felt after the national tragedies. And, you know, this comes down basically to identity. You know, partisanship is defining more and more of our mental, social, and graphic lives. So when that part of ourselves gets dealt a significant blow, it's a blow that the whole self uh, takes for a little while. And, And to make matters worse, the pain of losing is much greater than the joy of winning something. And, and a lot of people don't understand that, but that's the affect that we got after the presidential, this recent presidential election. You know, the, there's also some good in all this. You know, for people who see themselves on the losing side, the pure sorrow of losing is likely to fade. And we overestimate the intensity and the duration of emotional events so that when something good or bad happens to us, these feelings of uh, elation or despair don't last as long as we think they will. And, and you could see this in the research on people who suddenly became uh, paraplegics or who win the lottery, that after a disruptive event, they, re- they quickly return to their baseline happiness. You know, to be clear, this election has inflicted many other kinds of wounds on identity, likely to leave many groups, African-Americans, Muslims, uh, lesbian gays. Uh, people with Obamacare, immigrants, the working class, you know, hurting for quite a while. But the partisan identity, it seems, is probably more resilient than we think. And we are resilient people, and we need to be resilient people out there. You know, this is the role the media played. On September 30th uh, in 2016, the San Diego Union Tribune made history for the first time in its 148-year history it endorsed Democrat candidate Hillary Clinton. It was for the first time for 126 years, the Arizona Republic supported Hillary Clinton. Donald Trump was not popular with America's newspapers. Of the 100 top circulation print newspapers, only two endorsed him. More than 200 newspapers supported Clinton, while Trump received the backing of fewer than 20. And that's because the media itself actually saw him reaching into the public and talking to the subconscious of people, basically stating their their basic views and putting those things forward and then people actually talking about it rather than listening to the interpretation of the media. Also, even some of his support was half-hearted. You know, the, 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 the best... The Fort Wayne News Centennial could come up with was thank God for Mike Pence, you know, when they supported him. And the Washington Times declared Trump imperfect and acknowledged his vulgarity and his coarseness. But what they did like was the fact that he had a, a, all the right enemies, the pundits, the social scientists, the Beltway insiders, the academics, the righteous mongers of failed politics. And his image, they felt, was being painted by a one-party media, which, which was true. You know, the true loser out there is the media. 
and the true loser out there and the true inflictor of a lot of stress has been the media itself. Now, I'm not trying to attack the media, but I'm just trying to state what has happened over this last year from a truthful, common sense perspective. You know, Trump's victory is a brutal kick in the teeth for those pundits and insiders and, and righteous mongers, but it was also humiliation for thousands of journalists who had spent months trying to warn the public about Donald Trump. And this was one almighty two-fingered salute to much of the mainstream media. You know, um, the, the mere fact that Donald Trump's candidacy is evidenced by the failure of journalism. Like many other members of the liberal media class, Trump's success is a sign that the media failed to communicate the truth with enough force. And also equating the issue of Hillary Clinton's email server with all the criticisms of Donald Trump in the name of balance was very misleading. And the frequent comparison with the climate change debate and the balance of expert opinion, you know, a second liberal view is that the media gave Trump far too much unfiltered airtime, which is the truth. I mean, they gave him billions and billions of dollars in airtime. All right. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk a little bit more about the media, and then we're going to talk about mental wellness after an election. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Dr. Gary Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist in Southern California, but he is here to help you no matter where you are. Visit drgbmft.com. You can schedule an appointment with Dr. Bell, and many major health insurance plans are accepted. Call or text Dr. Bell today at 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com. Dr. Bell could help you take back your life in four to eight carefully constructed sessions. Stop coping and start living in the now. Call 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today. Encouraged and connected on our lively, award-winning Healthy Living Power Hour. Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with hosts Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Tune in to the Power Party for positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio. Visit StarStyleRadio.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it'll take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. 
or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back. Okay, we're talking about uh, Trump versus Hillary, the aftermath. You know, uh, looking at television, you know, in 1968, Roger Ailes, the, fu- the, the future boss of Fox News, had a, had a problem. He had a problem how to get Nixon on television w- without it being controlled and filtered by what he felt was a very hostile media. I mean, they were very hostile towards Richard Nixon, and as we saw later on, rightly so. But um, his solution was to create his own staged Nixon TV specials and offer them to TV stations. Well, 48 years later, we have this election, and CNN was effectively doing the same thing for Trump free of charge. You know, the enthusiasm for Trump at CNN, at, uh, excuse me, Fox, was was simple. The the boss of C, uh, CNN and, and Fox were getting enormous ratings out of Trump. You know, his uh, apprentice performance, and uh, he became a TV star. And by doing that, basically, uh, you know, Trump's repeated denunciations of CNN following a documentary that he felt was deeply flawed rather overlooked the success of their relationship. So Trump brought CNN ratings uh, in a tough market, and he also got exposure in return. So no one knew what he was going to say. So the cameras were never going to cut away. And we now have an unpredicted, telegenic president whom the cameras and ratings will follow wherever he goes. However, you know, what's strange about Trump's speeches is how much of what he says refers to issues and topics that are not part of the mainstream news agenda. Also, there was an alt-right movement. You know, during the summer of 2016, Donald Trump stated again and again that Hillary Clinton invented ISIS. And it's not a claim that receives much support in most newspapers and websites. Also, you know, uh, uh, the InfoWars site, uh, though, was it was big news. You know, the site also features claims that uh, Clinton was a secret satanic network and had Parkinson's disease, as well as dozens of other conspiracy theories. So we analyzed Trump's speeches that there are references to dozens of more stories that are dismissed by most mainstream media, but have enthusiastic support growing over around the world by alternate news sources. And uh, this fringe is generating large amounts of traffic on Online annex, uh, uh, analytics company Tubular Insights identified the middle of the campaign that when it came to online news, the site creating videos were generating the greatest levels of engagement. And uh, so, you know, we also have to look at uh, the voice out there. In the midst of the election campaign, the social media analysts impact uh, social studies posts on Twitter and other social media platforms in Florida. Once they stripped out the pundits, the journalists, and the rest of the chattering uh, people, they saw Trump was well ahead of Clinton in positive comments. And this ran counter to the polls. You know, pollsters would dismiss dismiss social media as a self-selecting group that doesn't reflect the whole voting population, but it does perhaps give a clue to the emotional impact of a candidate. And Trump, Trump was giving people more to talk about and saying it in a way that resonated. And when it came to the share of a voice online, he was winning that voice. Now, mental wellness, when it comes to maintaining mental health wellness of American citizens, the 2016 presidential cycle has been less than ideal. You know, the last several months of, of turmoil have thrown them for a loop. You know, uh, there was a psychologist who even commissioned a poll of a thousand uh, voters 
um, voter age respondents to probe the emotional impact of the election. And in the results, nearly 30% of the respondents reported emotional distress due to Hillary Clinton's campaign, while over 40% reported emotional stress due to Donald Trump's campaign. You know, the, the most telling is a whopping 90% of those who reported emotional distress felt that the toll of this election was worse than any other election in the past, offering perspective into the American psyche right about now. But most public health issues, including uh, uh, mental well-being, impact people differently. So women are more likely to seek care for mental health issues than men, for example, while younger individuals are less likely to seek care than older men and women. Similarly, you know, we might expect the mental health and wellness of certain groups of Americans to be more sustainable to the impact of the 2016 presidential election. You know, the effects could vary across the state and party lines. So we have to look, you know, why did Trump win? You know, why did he win? Well, you know, throughout the course of the election, the conventional groupthink was that the, that Donald Trump had uh, irrevocable, torn apart the Republican Party. And his base populism uh, supposedly sandbagged more experienced and electable Republican candidates who were bewildered that a conservative would dare to pander to, uh, you know, and, and, and talk about illegal aliens and renegotiation of trade agreements that ripped off working people and, and the messy attack on the, on the uh, reigning political collect, uh, correctness out there. I mean, Trump really took on a lot of things that people in this country are angry about and upset about and he took that voice and he put it forward and a lot of people didn't like hearing it even if they agreed with it they didn't like hearing it and quite a few people actually would communicate that they were actually voting for Hillary when in fact they were actually voting for Donald Trump and that is another amazing uh, thing that took place is that, uh, that what they communicated to people and to the public was not actually what they did when they went into the voting booth. You know, it, it's also a, a common complaint that Trump had neither political nor military experience, and he, he trash-talked his way to the nomination, a lot of critics said, which led to defections among even the most Republican elite people. You know, um, the Never Trump movement had taken root among many conservatives, and uh, now look at them. They're all supporting him. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing that they are actually beginning to, after the election, they're actually beginning to understand that he took on a voice that they have always been incapable of taking on. And, you know, uh, they also, you know, the Republican critics uh, disparaged him. And uh, as like a Huey Long or a Ross Perot, uh, whose populist message was uh, anti uh conservative and uh, would restrict trade it would open border immigration it would uh, uh, proper uh, it, it would create a lot of chaos and this is the same thing it's amazing this is the same thing that the Republican Party did to Ronald Reagan and uh, and kept him down for many years until he won the election now I, you know it sounds like I'm talking like a Republican but I'm trying to just give the information that actually has happened in a real and honest and common sense way. You know, um, Trump had brought to this race a very ra a unique advantage, some, some of his own making. And I would tell you this, this country stands for one thing, 
rugged individualism. That means people that stand behind their beliefs and they stay consistent and they stay strong. That's what made this country. That's what made all of these wonderful businesses that took off in the United States, unlike uh, socialist countries and, 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 and other countries where they were controlled by their, by their royalty. This country, actually, we had free will. And for the first time, we have what's called a democracy. And actually, people voted for some of the very base things that made this country successful. And that was rugged individualism. You know, that is what makes us strong. But that doesn't mean that we always hold consensus among other people in the world. That means we hold true to our beliefs and our values. But that may not mean that we are going to be agreed upon by everybody. But I think all people looked at this election as voting their values. And that, in a sense, is very interesting because that happened for both Hillary and for Trump. People voted their values and they felt that this country held their values when they voted for Hillary and they felt that people were uh, voting their values when they voted for Trump. And so interestingly, of course, we're going to have a very dramatic reaction one or the other if one or the other had won and lost, uh, whichever one. And so, you know, the, the impact that this election was hysterical, and I mean that in the worst sense, hysteria. I mean, people are hysterical about this election. This was an emotionally charged, values-based, get back to uh, get back to the basics outcome uh, that uh, we probably, as a country, may need. You know, just the shakeup, whether or not, you know, Trump is effective or not. But the bottom line is we needed to get shaken up and waken up and try to get this country back on its feet again. We are one of the most unliked countries in the world. Uh, we, as an economy, are less than, I think we're number 23 in, in Forbes as far as a country that works with businesses well. We used to be number one, guys. I mean, that's a crazy thing. You know, um, his, his, he, you know Trump admitted that crudity was seen by evidence as street fighting spirits and, and, and sorely lacking for Republican candidates that they didn't want to see a president act like that. Well, in campaigns, and I think all of us saw Obama and all of us saw Hillary and all of us saw the, 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 the people that were running for president behaving badly. You do that in politics. It's unfortunate, but we are picking really crappy people to run for office because we're expecting them to have a perfect slate behind them and to not have any flaws. And so we as a public, we really need to have a little bit more forgiveness and a little bit more understanding that people do change over time and things do change over time and people make new decisions and different decisions at different stages of their life. You know, we become wiser as we live and we're all what are called experiential learners, meaning that we learn from experiences. And so, you know, to think that we don't is foolish. And we as Americans, we really need to grow up and and wake up and think, wow, You know, this may be a a person that's not conducted their life the best way, but they are the right person for the right time. And, And, you know, we should do that for men, women, and people of all races and cultures in this country. You know, also, um, you know, the Democratic Party was, was, was basically divided in itself because they were running on Barack Obama's old message. And they really didn't have a platform for a new message. And so that left 
the country wondering, well, if she comes in the office, she's just going to be another Barack Obama and there's not going to be any change and there's a lot of things that need fixed. And so, you know, people themselves looked at Hillary w- without a message. You know, she just didn't seem to have an opinion. Now, yes, I know she had a platform. I know she put it out there. I know she spoke well at the convention. But the bottom line was that's not what she was doing out there in public. She was talking more about Trump and less about her and what she would do with the presidency. He did. He did his negative stuff, a lot of his negative stuff on Twitter. And then he did a lot of his performance, his platform out in the public and people, you know, we watched that. We watched that and we heard that. And it was a voice to the Americans. You know, um, WikiLeaks was also something that was horrible. And also, the let's say that the Russians did hack, you know, the Democrats and the, and the Republicans' email. Well, of course, if they did that, they're going to do what they want to do with that information. And it's up to us to decide whether hearing that information is going to affect us, you know, but now it's, it's bewildering to me. And once again, I, I fault the media that they have actually said that this is hacking into our election. Well, yes, it influences our election from a sense of giving the public information about one side and not the other. But the bottom line is, you know, we're all responsible for how we assimilate that information. You know, you know, the blue collar middle-class America of all cultures, of all backgrounds, were listening and hearing the things they needed to hear. They did not necessarily like Trump, but they heard what they needed to hear. All right, so let's talk about healing. You know, after an election like like, uh, 2016, we'll go down, this one is going to go down in history as one of the worst elections ever. You know, there needs to be, well, actually more, probably the most transcendent election ever. There, you know, there needs to be a time for the country to come together and heal. You know, healing is normal. A healthy part of any good relationship. And in order for our relationship with our government, the politicians, fellow citizens to heal, we need to remember the commonalities that bring us together. Healing after an election may not be easy for everybody, but it is especially difficult this year. But we must heal in order to move forward and continue to grow our nation. And that means that we need to have faith that the direction this country is going to take is going to be a positive one. And I believe when you strip down all the messages that we've heard, whether it was from Hillary, whether it was from Trump, there is going to be a direction and there is going to be changes. And some of them are not going to be liked and some of them are going to be liked. But the deal is, is that we've got to make peace with the idea that somebody is going to actually try and do something for the people in this government. And once again, you know, politicians have a very hard time getting away with a whole lot of things when the press is honest and keeps them to their word. And that, I hope, will happen over this next administration, that the press will learn to hold politicians to their word and hold them to their promises rather than critique their style and their opinions and their brashness and all that crap. You know, um, historically, you know, Americans have always been fairly good at letting bygones be bygones and moving on. And, uh, you know, the Americans forgave uh, British sympathizers, which were their neighbors during the Revolutionary War. And again, our, our, our brothers after the devastation of the Civil War, you know, the, a presidential election, all things considered, should be much easier. Many ordinary Americans find the election process and the government in general frustrating, opaque, uncaring about their needs and challenges. 
Elections give us a time to vent our frustration with the economy and the government's seeming inability to get anything done. No matter who's in power and who's nominated, Americans pretty much complain about the same things every election cycle. Taxes, lack of jobs, the economy, government interference in our lives, perceived strength of our country. But here's the bottom line, folks. If we're going to elect a politician to be our president or someone to be our president, we should at the same time, be electing a Congress and a Senate of that same party so that things can get done. We as a country can be extremely stupid where we will nominate, uh, get a, elect a president and then not give them a Congress or a Senate that they can work with. You know, if we want to see things get done, whether Democrats or Republicans, we need to vote across the board so that president can be effective and make changes for this country for the better of the people. And uh, that is a smart way to do it. But once we do this, uh, Congress not agreeing with the Senate and the Senate not agreeing with the Congress, we end up finding ourselves at a, at a stalemate. And so we, have, as a public, need to be a lot smarter and stop creating so much anxiety and stress by having a government that works purely to support policies that people voted for through the presidential election. You know, but smart Americans know that government is there to perform the basic functions that help guarantee our access to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It's not there to make sure we don't do dumb things, make bad choices, or are even happy. It's not responsible for our emotional climate. You know, these, these uh, people that are our neighbors and citizens also know the ability to affect real change in America lies not with the president, who has a very specific limited power, but up with an entire legislative body. Congress. You know, if Americans really wanted change, they seem to clamor for every election cycle. They'd spend more time voting for out the incre- uh, congressional co- uh, incubants who basically failed to bring about the change desired. But no, uh, Democrats have still laid in some of the same old tired people to r- run their party and run uh, the politics in Washington. The same old tired people are there. And that's so sad. It's so sad. We need change. We need real, real, real change in this country. You know, if, you, if you've given a different page than your spouse, your partner, or kids during the election, it's best to make amends. You know, you want to heal personal wounds first. Sometimes we say things we don't really mean in the heat of an argument. You know, such things may be said out of frustration or anger. Now is the time to apologize for those remarks, especially since we're sitting here in the holidays. Let's start the year off right and forgive each other for having positions that may not be the positions that everybody wants. You know, we all want one thing, and that is to have a great life and a great, great country and a great world. We all want to feel peace. We want to feel happiness. We want to feel safe. And I think anybody, any human being in any political office would want the same thing in this country. And I'm not suggesting if you go to North Korea, that would be the same thing. Okay, so, you know, do you really want uh, to sink a whole friendship is the question you have to ask yourself. So based on years and even decades of experiences over a single election, you know, if you've had so many memories with this one person, maybe your spouse, maybe your friend, you'd want to forgive each other. And Keep that relationship. Just because your politics are different 
doesn't mean you can't be friends. It doesn't mean you can't be married. You know, healing continues to work with, and with neighbors. Maybe if you've had one of those yard signs on your front lawn that stood out amongst the sea of the opponent signs, maybe you're the one person in your office or on the job who seemed to be for your candidate. And, you know, it's time to say, hey, you know, this was some election, but I'm glad it's over and we can all get on with our lives and hope others hear the conciliatory tone. You know, unless you, you uh, went away over top, there's no need to apologize for your choice of candidates or your passion in arguing for your candidate as long as you were respectful when doing so. And if you do go over the top, cross a line, then take responsibility. Uh, find a quiet, private place to make your apologies to those who have uh, been offended. And doing so will go a long way to healing uh, the hurt feelings in your workplace and with your friends. Okay, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and we're going to continue to talk about healing and the things to look forward to. us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Do you like what you're hearing on the show today? Dr. Gary Bell wants to help you no matter where you are. He's fast, efficient, effective, and has a no-bull approach to helping you in less than 10 sessions. If you're ready to change right now, drop everything and call or text Dr. Bell at 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today. You can also follow Dr. Bell on Twitter at drgbmft for some great insight and direction. Are you ready? Make that change. Pick up the phone or go to the site, 951-818-7856 or drgbmft.com. Remember, drgbmft.com. The Compassionate Life is about just that. There are so many human beings who have made a name for themselves by being humanitarians. They have become individuals who are known for being selfless, kind, and compassionate. Host Dr. Brittany King is also one of these humanitarians. Each week she shares stories of kindness that she has experienced throughout the world, both as a contributor and recipient of these acts of love and kindness. Listen every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Empowerment. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but... If you want to send an email, it'll take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. All right, we're talking about uh, Trump versus Hillary, the uh, aftermath. Okay, now, we're talking about healing, you know, uh, Healing has to occur in the government. You know, Americans didn't elect politicians to sit on their butts and make speeches that nobody listens to. We elected them to do their freaking job, running this nation's business, getting the job done. You know, any politician who refuses to do his or her job, which includes rational discussion, negotiation, compromise, 
needs to resign or, or face not being reelected come next election. You know, people have said time and time again that they want a government that does its job. You know, not one that just obstructs work from being accomplished. And I think one of the things people bought into with Trump is he didn't care. He did get rude. He, he did get frustrated with because these politicians talk and talk and talk and they do nothing, nothing. They sink. We pay our taxes, folks. We pay our taxes. Many people pay them out of their paycheck. Some people pay them at the end of the year. But when you send that check to the government, you actually have to send money to the government and look at what you pay for. It, it makes you very angry, extremely angry, especially if the government's just throwing money away for things that you don't see any value in. And that's a sad truth um, that we all face. And yes, it's going to come out in our voting. And yes, it's going to make us passionate about elections when people are seeing our government not do its job. You know, politicians need to reach across the aisle and find shared commonalities they, they have with each other. That means Democrats, Republicans, teacup, whatever, um, you know, lib- uh, libertarians, whatever they are, Green Party. We all need, they just need to reach across the aisle and find compromise. They need to listen to each other rather than listen to selectively what they want to hear. You know, they need to stop listening from the perspective of their platform and start listening to what's being said in order to form a compromise, which is what people have to do in marriage. We have to be able to hear each other's opinion first. We have to hear each other's perspective first. That's where compromise is driven. You drive it from the baseline of each other's perception, and then you begin forming a compromise that can be accomplished. You know, you know, the next four years of coming together, you know, as one people, I am hoping the people stand behind the president and the elected fish, uh, officials and weed out the ones that are just sitting there doing nothing or, or, or actually throwing up barriers uh, to try to not help the public and help this nation. You know, it, it, it's only together that we can make uh, simple, hard work instead of complicate the issues that we have. You know, even if you look at the uh, immigration issue that's coming up, it's a very scary. You know, I I live here in California. I have lots of Hispanic friends. And, you know, the bottom line is is we have to really look at the message that he's putting out there. Um, And the Muslim uh, community, what he's saying is he wants to get rid of criminals. What the hell's wrong with that? You know, criminals and people that are not registered and have criminal record, people that are dangerous. You know, what what is wrong with that? I I think that all of us would want to have less criminals in our country and not be paying for them sitting in our prisons. You know, the the bottom line is that pays a big toll on our public, you know, but but media has made it as if uh, he's attacking individuals. And I'm not defending Trump. I'm, I'm trying to state what the real message is and why, and, I'm, and I am attacking media, why the media has changed perspectives for people and, and, and actually biased perspectives for people. So let's look at how to heal. You know, for many women, especially those who've uh, bumped into the glass ceiling or two, the possibility of electing America's first female president fueled their dreams and their drive for a more equal workplace and uh, a world for women. But these women, uh, what began as hope and excitement uh, feel, uh, on Tuesday, that Tuesday election, quickly transformed into an evening of heartbreak, disbelief, and confusion and anger. Well, we have to accept that. You know, that, that is, that sucks for them. You know, women should be 
able to achieve the same things that men achieve in this world. We are a democracy. We all seek equality. You know, bottom line is, is for some reason, this country has not respected women in a leadership position in politics, except for by state by state and some senators. But the bottom line is, we do need a female leadership in this world. We need that in this country. We need that opinion operating in this country. But However, the message and the time and the person didn't deliver, but that doesn't mean it's never going to happen. You know, uh, as the shock wears off, many of us wonder, what now? How do we maintain heart and continue to fight when all that was shattered was hope? You know, how, how do we cope with anxiety surrounding the future? Well, you know, there's some steps to take, and uh, they aren't specific uh, to post-election grief, but they're they're applicable to any experience that's left you feeling heartbroken, disappointed, disempowered, you know, being fired, laid off, not getting a promotion you were expecting, ending things with the person you were seeing for 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 years, or you know, a marriage, a, a parents' Alzheimer's, a life-changing injury, injury, a miscarriage. You know, the magnitude of feelings that uh, the level of uh, debilitation you experience as a result will vary depending on the severity of the loss. So, you know, first of all, you want to acknowledge your grief. You know, finding the positive is great and all, but doing so without making space for grief is essentially denial. And uh, grieving and processing your emotions is not only natural, but it's necessary. The deeper our attachment to a desire for a person, the stronger our reaction is to a loss. So remind yourself your strong reaction is a reflection of your caring and your connection and your passion. You know, practice mindfulness towards your feelings, meaning you open up to whatever arises with non-judgment and acceptance. That means we, we have hope, we have faith. We have faith that good things will happen. And we try to notice the feelings. And I also can be helpful to say, say them out loud or write them down. You know, some common ones is uh, hurt, shock, anger, fear, emptiness, sadness, guilt, shame, confusion, defeat, powerlessness, anxiety. You know, we want to process that. And so it's important to remember that feelings are an, imp- an, imp- an impairment and meaning they'll, they'll come and go. Um, they will burn off and transform into something else. So finally, know the grief is not linear. So in some moments, you'll feel affected and in others, not much. And this is all normal and part of the process. But the other important thing about emotion is to let it burn off. Don't try to deduce why you're feeling the way you feel. Stop analyzing your feelings. Just feel it. It'll go away within three minutes. If you don't feed your feelings with logic, why do I feel this way? Then the feeling will die. And so as we go through grieving, the best thing to do is let the feeling be there and acknowledge that it's there. You also want to bulk up on your coping. You know, difficult feelings that come along with our, you know, bad human experiences are uh, actually made worse by resisting and uh, self-judgment. So open yourself up to them and make things easier. You know, uh, self-compassion. Be mindful and and say what you'd say to a friend in this situation. Acknowledge that you're not the only one going through this now. And, you know, that said, self-compassion generally isn't enough by itself. Call upon your uh, self-soothing methods and recruit professional help like a therapist if you need to. You know, healthy coping mechanisms are calling a friend, listening to music, uh, yoga, 
taking a, a bubble bath, walking on the west side of the highway of New York City or Central Park or going to some quiet place and just relaxing. You know, that is another way to feel good. Also, you know, where you, you might normally function at 85%, but you're going to feel depleted and demotivated if you keep spilling into all this emotional. Also, you want to commiserate, you know. Everything is harder when we feel like we're in it alone. But if you're not ready to reach out for support, look to social media or online groups and forums to validate your experiences. Also, uh, the important takeaway here is to realize that you're not alone. You're not crazy. You're not broken. You're not doing it wrong. Your experience is valid and deserving of support, and finding your tribe will facilitate this realization. The thing is, don't get into a sense of uh, going into a tribe and buying everything that they have to say. These are the places to vent, not places to subscribe. Also, realize you know, that hope isn't always a good thing. In our process of healing, we uh, vacillate between acceptance and hope or denial. Hope and denial are inevitable parts of the grieving process. And this might look like uh, something like, we'll have a female president next time around, or my ex will come back, or uh, hope and denial help us cope with uh, painful realities. And that's basically painting a picture uh, that we want to see. And that sometimes helps us. Okay, we also want to realize that uh, that, uh, reframing responsibly. Okay, we're ready to look at the positive now, carefully. There's a lesson in every painful experience. And so we want to look at that as a good thing. And we also want to reclaim our power. And that's the loss and disappointment can deeply be, uh, be disempowering. So once we've regained strength to do so, it's important to reclaim our power. In order to do this, first recognize what's in and out of your control right now. And so when you look at that, controls like a big donut and inside the donut is a hole and that that hole is what you can control you know there may be an opportunity for empowerment and in a sense of going what can i control and what can i not control and most of that resides with you as a person okay so so here's what we have to look forward to president-elect trump has promised a lot day one you know by the time the rhetoric ends the basic principles uh, are going to be right there First, uh, Trump is, if anything, he's a businessman. He makes deals and he loves doing so. No one expects him to think with a traditional Washington mindset or, quite frankly, even a Republican mindset. You know, he has flipped parties over the years. He knows Democratic Schumer uh, much better than he does any of the Republicans. And he also, uh, including Speaker of the House, and he won't likely worry about Washington establishment and even care about about the Washington establishment. That's a good thing. And he, he thinks big, really big. You know, my, the person might even say huge. I mean, he believes the bigger, the better. He wants his personal stamp on top. You know, political capital won't be spent to nuance rules and arcane government regulations. He wants to win. And also, he likes to build, whether it's property or his brand. He's done it his whole life. And so he's never been known as an active trader or a passive investor or financer. You know, he needs tangible results, and that's what he looks for. Also, tax reform. We all know tax reform would be a wonderful thing. And also, assuming the president elects a tough talk on trade, you know, it's going to be a start of negotiation in America's interest. And that's going to be a positive thing. So we have some great stuff to look forward to. 
All right. That's our show. Our next show is all about cutters and self-harm. So we're going to get back to real psychology. I want to thank everybody for listening. I love to hear from you. Get your feedback. DRGBMFT at SBCGlobal.net or Twitter at DRGBMFT. Now, remember, Bernie Sanders' new slogan in 2020 will be, can I live another eight years? Let's find out together. Also, the reaction to the election results from some people was like telling your kids that Santa is dead. Thanks for listening, everybody. That's our show for this week. Please join Dr. Gary Bell for another edition of Absurd Psychology next Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now, go impress your friends and family with what you've learned today and have them tune in next week so they can be almost as smart as you. 